You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. Welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. This is Ben Wolf. And uh, today we're going to learn from our guest uh, uh, three main focuses. Uh, one is how she uh, scaled a business uh, that's a massage therapy business. And uh, using an approach that's distinct from one of our previous guests, Dr. Sarah Gluck, where you know she talked about her approach with a, a mental health business, and we're also going to learn from her uh, how she utilized a fractional COO, an outsourced COO, to help her be a, one of the main keys that helped her scale and to grow from a from a small business to something that's scalable. And uh, thirdly, I definitely want to talk with her about. Uh, something that she's written and spoken about before, which is using, which uh, is what techniques she uses or recommends with people in dealing with some of the stresses and, and anxieties and trials and tribulations of running an entrepreneurial business uh, so that uh, you can run that business and it can be successful and help you live your dreams and not be something that, God forbid, does the opposite and runs a person into the ground. Um, and uh, today we're also doing something interesting, which is uh, which is a little bit of an experiment. We're recording this on Zoom today. I hope to release it on YouTube as well. Uh, but even though we are going to be able to see each other, we're going to talk in a way that is going to be good for the people on the podcast, not going to rely on any visual demonstrations or hand gestures or anything like that uh, so that everybody can enjoy equally. Um, and another thing is that, uh, you know, we're getting, we're getting into a number of episodes behind us. So I just want to put a reminder out there to everybody to, uh, definitely leave a review and subscribe on whatever uh, method you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, or YouTube now. And we'll see if we, we stick with that in the future uh, because it, not only does it make it easier for you to access the value and the knowledge that uh, our guests are sharing with you, uh, but it also helps on the algorithms and makes uh, those platforms make it more accessible to more people. So uh, you can actually help make the value that we're sharing accessible to more people by, uh, by, by leaving a review and by subscribing as well. So I would definitely recommend that. And uh, another thing is we do have, uh, you know, we actually have a lot of really interesting and exciting guests coming up in the lineup that we're recording over the coming days and we're going to be releasing. Um, just some really interesting guests that have some really great information. We're going to talk to one guy uh, who talked about how he, how he went over the course of a number of years where he started off in a company as a frontline employee uh, and now he's the CEO and uh, learn from that journey and how you succeed in uh, and, and grow within as part of a business. Uh, we're talking to somebody else who uh, works on hiring and training uh, and her business is she's hiring and training a remote workforce all around the country uh, and how she trains them. And, you know, even though she's not in front of them, the workers are not there. Uh, but she has quality and culture among among her team and how she accomplishes that, which is, I think, important to talk about in terms of process, developing the process side of a business so that we can deliver a, uh, deliver a reliable product to people. Uh, so without further ado, and uh, those on YouTube can, can see her right now, but uh, I want to introduce the CEO of the Press Modern Massage Group. Uh, she is a certified prenatal, uh, prenatal massage therapist for just a, almost uh, just a little over 10 years now, and I think when she graduated, and uh, she is uh, she is now uh, growing like gangbusters. She's got five locations uh, all over Brooklyn, one opening up in uh, in Queens and Long Island City very soon, um, 
She helps uh, women entrepreneurs uh, through her wellness business, business co- consulting practice. Um, and uh, actually, the way, the way we know each other is we're both participated in the Tony Robbins Business Mastery Program uh, just a couple of months ago in January 2019 in Palm Beach. It was a five-day program, very intense uh, in terms of uh, really teaching both of us a lot of, a lot of great things. And so we know each other through that. Uh, she, uh, she recently gave the, uh, commencement address at her alma mater, the Swedish, the Swedish Institute. She's published in Forbes, USA Today, and many other publications. You can learn more about, uh, her business and the practice there at pressmodernmassage.com. And so without further ado, I give you Rachel Beter. Fighter. Fighter. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you for that lovely the interview. So. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for hosting. Well, I am happy to have you here, um, and so let's get right into it. So, uh, so first of all, I you know here there's you know just to give people a little background in terms of in terms of the the what of what you do before we get into the more substantive stuff that I think uh, people you know can learn so much from. Uh, and as what you know, you talk on your, on your website or whatever about being a clinical massage therapist. So, what exactly is that? What is clinical massage therapy, and how is that distinct from other things that people might be familiar with? Absolutely. So our practice is clinical in that we rely on patient information like health intake forms to make informed decisions about how we treat. So for example, um, at a typical spa, you might come in and get an hour of someone rubbing oil on you, which might be very relaxing, um, but it's not necessarily therapeutic. So the kind of work that we do, our client will come in, fill out a very thorough health intake form, and then have an assessment period with their therapist where they can talk about what their history is, their background, what's going on for them, if they have any history of injuries or issues or surgeries, um, you know, if they're experiencing chronic or very recent pain, so if it's been going on for a long time or if it's more recent. And then after that thorough intake, the session will be tailored specifically to what the therapist, uh, to what the client would like. So for example, um, we might just focus on someone's back, neck and shoulders for an hour or 90 minutes, depending on how long the appointment is. Um, But the approach that we take is very orthopedic and clinical. So we've basically taken the type of massage you'd get at a chiropractor's office or a physical therapy clinic, but out of those cold paper sheets and put it into a place that's very warm and relaxing and comfortable. Because it's very important that people get the benefit of the stress relief, not just that you know painful experience. And we, we always want to say we want delicious pain, not scary pain. So we should feel like our sessions are accomplishing something, but without being really scary or intimidating. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I, I definitely am a believer in the concept of good pain. And uh, my wife doesn't always agree. Like, you know, it's like, it's just pain is pain. But I, I definitely know what you mean. Delic- yeah. I never heard it called delicious pain. So. Yeah, you should be able to breathe into it and relax into it, and it should feel very relieving. Right. Uh, now I hear, and so so it's interesting. So you're 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 when you say clinical massage, you're not just talking about fulfilling a prescription from a doctor or some other sort of professional, but you're actually the one like you know diagnosing or actually uh, determining what what's needed clinically in the course of the uh, session. Yeah, so only a doctor can diagnose, so we don't diagnose, but what we will do is often actually doctors do write a prescription for a massage, and that's how our clients get it covered by their insurance, Mm -hmm. Um, and we provide insurance-friendly receipts, so our clients can take that home with them and and, um, try to get reimbursed through their insurance that way. If they have have out-of-network benefits. 
That's right. Yes. Um, but yeah, basically through our assessment and then after the session, we also give follow up homework. So it might have to do with strengthening exercises or stretching, but we take a really holistic approach to treating our clients. Okay, cool. And so for you, for you personally, I mean, so that's all in the last 10 years, right? You've been doing that and now you're, you know, you kind of, you know, building up and scaling up at this point, uh, starting to get a lot faster. Uh, but what, you know, but pre, you know, over 10 years ago, why, why did you go into this? What, what got you here? You know, I have a, a bit of an interesting background. Um, I grew up with scoliosis, uh, which is a curvature of the spine. So my spine is an S curve instead of a, a straight. And with scoliosis, there can be a C shape or an S shape. So mine's an S shape. It curves a little to the right, a little to the left. And what happens is you get a lot of chronic. But you don't have one of those. You don't have one of those uh, things on your spine, like a metal. I don't have a brace or yeah, okay, no, I don't, rod I don't or anything. have rods, thankfully. Okay. So my parents wow. were smart and they took me to physical therapy when I was a kid. And that really helped to correct some of the curvature. And even as wow. an adult, I do a lot of weight training and stretching and exercises. And I see a chiropractor and I get regular massage and all of that holistically helps to treat the pain that comes from the scoliosis. Wow. Yeah. And there's two types of scoliosis. There's a structural type, so something you're born with, and then there's a functional type. So for example, if you're a person who has a, a phone at their office and you're always doing this to it, right. or if you're constantly carrying a bag on one shoulder, you can actually give yourself a, a slight version of scoliosis because your muscles will start to adapt to that change. So oh, yeah, for me, that. it's something I was born with. Um, but for most, you know, it, it just depends on structural or functional. Um, but I'm very intimately familiar with back pain. It's something I've grown up with for a long time. And so um, before massage school, I had a, a history in dance. My mom is actually a professional ballerina with the Detroit Ballet. Um, wow. so we have a, a family history of dance and movement. Um, and before massage school, I had attended art school, actually. I got my BFA in photography from School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Wow. Okay. And I loved it. I had a blast with it. And well, in your beautiful studios, I mean, you're able to express some of that artistic side as well, I guess. Absolutely. You know, and I'll say, um, while massage is an entirely different field, I think that the way that I'm articulating our business online and the, and the visuals, certainly um, the taste that I've gotten is definitely from school. And also, I managed photo studios for years, and the management experience that I gained while managing photo studios allowed me to really open and manage my own, even though it's totally unrelated. Anytime you're dealing with customer service and client-facing, um, it's actually not so dissimilar. Well, that's cool. Okay, so that's an interesting interesting business background, or that ended up giving you a little bit of background in terms of that, that management and customer service experience to, to build your own business. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Very interesting. And um, so one, one thing I wanted to ask you about first was this, was this uh, fractional COO or outsourced COO, uh, part-time COO, whatever you want to call it, chief operating officer that you had utilized. So first, tell me, tell me what was happening before you did that. Like what, what was the situation? What was the pain like that, that caused you to look in that direction? Sure. So initially, I had one location of my business. And luckily, within that building, I was able to take over a, one suite, then a second suite, then a third suite. And each of those suites had three rooms. So I went from having one room by myself, private practice, to nine rooms and Huge. quite a few massage therapists. And yeah. that was wonderful. But because in each room, right, you could, you could do like three a day at the different shifts. 
or right, right for yeah so each room has the capacity to see eight clients in a day so four okay. in the morning and the four in the evening okay um so all of a sudden uh nine times eight it's it's a lot of appointments in a in a day potentially Jeez. yeah so that that was wonderful and when it was just that location with nine rooms i was totally confident in managing it seven days a week and, and i couldn't afford to hire someone else so it worked for me um and then I found a location just north of ours in Greenpoint, and in that space, I was able to open eight rooms right away in one big suite. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the transition of trying to build out the new space, um, get everything for it, you know, like furnish it, get get all the construction done, right. and then also while managing the old space, right. I was just burnt out. I was exhausted. I realized. When I started staffing, I was doing all the staffing myself, all the hiring, all the training, all the onboarding, all the front desk. It was just a lot. And I realized I was overseeing a lot of people. And um, part of me really thought like, you know what, this is really hard. And I just don't really want to grow this anymore because I'm, I'm so anxious all the time. Right. And I went through this program. I'm always looking to meet other female entrepreneurs. How long? So well, you started 10 years ago. When was this? Um, it took me a long time to get to those three suites. So I think, I think this must have been about three years ago I opened Greenpoint. So it, okay. it took seven years to get from one room to nine. Right. But I was also right. 24 like, years old. I was a kid. I didn't know what I was right. doing, frankly. Um, and I learned a lot along the way. I did a lot of crying and like freaking out. And um, I didn't go to business school. I have no degree in this. So there's a learning curve there. Um, like, so, like so many people, like what, what, like why are you an entrepreneur? Why'd you go into business? Because you love doing whatever it is that you do. You love making yeah. bits or giving massage or creating art or being a being a psychologist or whatever it is. I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's why that's why you go into it because you love the innovation or the service or the clients or whatever it is. You're you know, like Tony Robbins talks about you know the you know the three types of the two, three types of people in business as the entrepreneurs, the manager leaders, and then as the artists. Yeah, I think, what did he say that like 90, 80% of the people who start businesses are in the category of the artists, it's whatever yeah. it is that they make, that's what they love. They're not professional business people. So you have to learn that along the way in order to succeed. Yeah. You know, and I'll say, I'll add to that. I started my practice, not necessarily just because I loved it so much, but more that I hated working for other people. Mm -hmm. Like I could see very clearly right out of school where I was being exploited either financially or for my time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt often like a bystander. I didn't feel impactful in the companies that I was working for. And I would always give them feedback like, hey, I would love for us to start using, you know, this kind of product that's like a little more natural, a little less full of bad chemicals. And, you know, it's just I, there was often this this gap between where I wanted to be and the work I wanted to be doing and then right. what was available to me. So starting my practice was the only way that I could kind of bridge that gap. Right. You know? um, yeah. So that's yeah. So it's a little bit of a tangent. So you were saying uh, you were saying how how you ended up going to use a uh, outsourced COO or part time COO right. so, and how that got you from where you were to to the next level. Yeah. So I attended this program. Um, it's called Future Women X. It's um, this woman Victoria uh, who has a company called Better Future. And Future Women X, what it does is it pairs entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs in New York City with uh, C-suite level people from other countries. Um, and so 
it was interesting because through this week you have meetings with the younger group, you have meetings with the C-level folks. So it's like a one week like uh, immersive. Yeah, absolutely. And they set up all of these helpful meetings for you around the city. So you're running around all over the place. And what they do is they pair you with someone from that C-suite. So it might be a COO or a CFO or CEO. Okay. And that person goes with you with the only job of having your back, asking questions on your behalf, representing you, making sure they understand what your needs are and helping you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a little bit of a trick because if someone had told me at the beginning of that program, you're going to need to spend a bunch of money and hire a COO. I'd be like, well, I can't do that. It would take too much away from my own salary. And I don't see the point. It would just cost money. I can do it myself. I don't need okay. someone. But after, and that's a really bad attitude. But after well, it's, very, week, it's very common. Yeah. But after a week of having this, this amazing, she's, she was a Danish woman. Come with me to these meetings work with me, help me, just be there to support me 100% to represent me in these meetings, I was like, oh my God, I need help. <laughs> I need what a difference. I'm burning out because I need help because I can't do this myself because it's too right. big of a job. And if this were a real company or like a funded company, you would have all of these different roles like a CEO, CFO, COO. You'd have all of these different positions right. ahead of HR and ahead of... And so I started to think about, you know, Right now, I have this fantastic front desk team of people who are just answering calls and scheduling appointments. What if I made each of them ahead of their own department? So one of them is now in charge of HR, and she's helping me pre-screen all of our applicants. And one of them is in charge of blogging, and one of them is in charge of social media. And I talked to all of them about, if you were going to do this role, what would interest you? And it was really cool because I realized if I'm going to bring on a COO, an operations person... I need to start cleaning up the back of our house so that when she comes home, things are running already a little more smoothly so that at least right. those things are in place. So the real magic about a COO is that they help you identify and then delegate to the team that you have what to do. And I, what you were just describing was you did some of that delegating before you even brought the person on, it sounds that's like. That's right. Yeah, I wanted to, to more effectively process. utilize them. Yeah, because I realized the reason I wasn't interested in opening the door of these is that I was spread way too thin, which means I felt like I was failing all the time, which is a terrible feeling. Yeah. Um, and nobody wants to go to work when you feel like you're constantly failing and that you can't accomplish anything. Right. Um, and so when I started to delegate, all of a sudden there, I could breathe a little. And I realized, okay, I can totally maintain this stat, you know, as is, but if I have any hope of growing, I need to bring on a COO. It just, it has to happen. I just, I need it. And so I started looking, um, and I've actually, since this conversation, have hired two uh, COOs. So I brought one on interim and then one on in a permanent way. Um, and I'm so glad for this. So, so, uh, tell, me, so tell me that. So let, let's say take the inner one, inner, interim, interim one first. Yeah. What, tell, what happened when, when she, is a woman, I guess, what, yes. when she came on board? Yeah, so she came on and she immediately, she is incredible at systems. And she immediately was like, okay, we need to get you 100% organized. We need to get this like running like a finely tuned machine. And she threw at me a bunch of software, which was massively helpful. So for example, we immediately started using something called Homebase, which is a little bit like Slack. So instead of texting back and forth or having email conversations in these giant threads, we had each location got a, a channel on home base mm -hmm. and 
um, there's also an all team channel and a celebration channel. So we could say happy birthday to everybody. But mm -hmm. you know, so for example, when there was something going on in Williamsburg, I could ping that channel and whoever was at the desk would respond, you know, and if they had a question or something was left off from the morning shift, there was this process now where it was like all in one place so that our communication just got streamlined in a really huge way. Okay. Um, that's huge. The second piece of software we started using is called Trello and it's okay. basically an organizational tool to manage everything from our, it's mostly processes. So like how do we onboard someone? Did we call their references? Did we give them a W-2 and an I-9? And All right, so you created templates. So it's like a project management uh, cloud-based system. Exactly. I mean, used, I used Asana usually. I you know, personally use Asana usually. Yeah, I've heard good things like, about Asana. Yeah. Like Trello. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, so you would create, let's say, like a, a template for a new employee. You know, and then, you know, it automatically pre-populates who's doing what. And, you know, everybody checks off to make sure where you could have some visibility instead of just instead of having to ask them every time exactly yeah. whether this step that step and the other step is done and i had created like a management like um an operations manual but she made it profoundly more robust so the biggest difference between us is someone at the desk would ask a question and my initial thought is oh my gosh i have to answer it right away and instead she was like okay well, let's look at why we're having this question and how to prevent this question from ever happening again by writing it down and then getting it into our training so she just reorganized in this really robust way the way that we are training our folks and this all culminated recently with learning management software called trainual so mm -hmm. she's the, the biggest project that she's taking on as our new COO is coming in is um, is getting that trainual software just totally launched. So there's videos and it's basically like how to onboard everyone across the board consistently. So it, so it creates like an online training, like brings that whole manual and all the processes there into exactly. a, so like an online training. Exactly. And you can see, you can track progress for each member. You can test them on their knowledge. You can just make sure that it's very, very clear, easy to find. Um, and it uses video content and it's, it's. I think I've seen ads from them on Facebook, actually. Yeah, I've heard great things. Ads now, I think, I've, I think, I think they're showing, I think they're like pushing their ads to me. Yeah, I was asking, um, I belong to Young Entrepreneurship Council, and I was asking those folks, um, you know, who in this group does learning management software? And I've heard great things about Wisetail also, but it was just okay. a little too expensive for us. Okay. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So if you had to sum up, though, like, okay, so that, that's a lot of the individual great tools. If you had to sum up, though, what's it done for your business overall? Well, the moment that I felt comfortable with my COO handling our day-to-day -day operations, I could breathe for five minutes enough to go out and feel confident getting other locations of the business. So right. you know, I was able to open up our Dumbo location, our third location, a big one, and I'm able to open up Bushwick, our fourth, which is a pop-up to explore that neighborhood. You know, it, it gave me breathing room in my mind, like mental and emotional space to start looking at the company and feel like I was instead of reacting to what was going on, actively pursuing leads. And um, I was able to attend Business Mastery, which is where I met you, that Tony Robbins right. program that I loved, you know, and, and then just think more strategically about the business with a partner who helped me to kind of think through, okay, that's a great idea. Let's put it into action. So there's another book that I love called Rocket Fuel, and it's all about the innovator, integrator, combination so yeah. you know tony might call that the artist and the entrepreneur but basically yeah. it's this idea of i have all these 
crazy, wonderful, sometimes terrible ideas. And it's helpful for me to have someone there to be like, that's a fantastic idea. Let's think through this and I'll figure out how to make it happen. And, or, you know what, I feel like that's maybe not the best idea. Let's circle back and think about it in a different kind of way. And it just helps me to rein in a little bit, you know, you know and business coaching helps with great. that. Yeah. Good. Have you seen, uh, so that, that, that book is written by uh, Mark Winters and I forgot the name of his co-author. Um, but, you know, but I like your, I, I personally like your, uh, like your COO and more of a, more of an integrator in that visionary integrator duo that is described in that book. Uh, and, um, and that's actually, but I don't talk about it too much on the podcast right now because I'm trying to share information from other people, but that, that system that rocket fuel works under EOS is actually exactly what I do. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a fractional integrator. So like a fractional COO that will be available to people. And uh, I'm also an EOS implementer that actually I'm trained in, in helping companies implement that entire system, not just recognizing that visual visionary integrator duo benefit and how that's the rocket fuel that helps, you know, elevate a company, but also how to implement uh, helping companies implement that entire system. So you can always, Ask me about that afterwards if you want or anybody else out there. But, um, but what's interesting about what you said also is that, you know, if you, you ever, if you think about human history, right, human beings have existed for, you know, like thousands and thousands or millions of years. But, you know, if you look at, if you look at the history of civilization, like, like what's happened in, you know, the last 5,000 years, you know, completely eclipses everything that's happened in the millions of years before that. If you look basically in the last 150 years since the Industrial Revolution, it's like completely eclipsing everything that happened in the, in the, in the previous 5,000 years before that in terms of the speed of progress. And I just, listening to your story, it sounds a little bit like that. You know, you went for like, you know, seven years, like with like this slow growth and amazing and a small business and you, you were growing and learning and, and uh, developing. You couldn't have probably done anything that you're doing now if it hadn't been for the learning and experience and growth that you, that you, you achieved during those seven years. But what you're doing now in the last three years and, you know, going from one location to, uh, you know, to now, now just, you know, getting ready to open up fifth after, you know, just three, three and a half years is just exponentially faster than what you were able to do before. And it sounds like a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's due to, yes, it's the extra expense of having that, of having that person there, but you've, you know, you're, you've grown in terms of, number of massage therapists, the number of sessions that you're able to do is just grown 10, 20 fold, 30 fold. I don't even know how much uh, because of that added capacity that you have. Absolutely. It's just exponential. I mean, I think it, I had to get over the hump. It was super scary at first. I'm not going to lie. Like it was very scary to bring someone on, right. but I realized the thing that was holding me back was my own fear that if I opened up a third or a fourth location and I tried to do it by myself, I would be so deep water overwhelmed oh. drowning, you know, and, and it just scared the living daylights out of me thinking about being in charge of that many people and all the, the weight of responsibility of so many people and doing it on my own. And I was so afraid to fail. And if I had tried to do it on my own, I would have failed. I would have like had anxiety and, and just been miserable and, you know, I'm so glad that I was able to get out of my head and realize the importance of bringing on help and that it's, it's necessary. I think especially there's this idea, especially if you're an entrepreneur of like, well, I have to do everything myself. Number one, because I can't afford to hire someone, but also number two, if I'm asking for help, that's a weakness or, or that means I can't do it. Mm -hmm. As a very independent woman, I can tell you like it's, it's a strong hurdle to get over this idea. Mm -hmm. and, 
even if you can do it, it doesn't mean you should. Um, and right. frankly, you delegation, like you don't have to have the answer to every question that people are asking you, but you do need to know who to delegate it to. Right. So it does feel a little bit like taking your hands off the steering wheel, but that's the only way that you'll have the freedom to grow and to do the other things that you're trying right. to accomplish. Right. Well, it sounds like it, sounds like it you know, it's, it was a force multiplier for you and what you were able to accomplish. Massively, massively, massively. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So moving on to another topic, I also wanted to ask you uh, about something that you, something that you wrote in uh, your recent Forbes article from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you, you, you asked two questions. You said, what are you tolerating and what are you avoiding? Mm -hmm. so you just don't mind saying a couple of words about what that tells you about yourself. If, you know, when you answer that questions and maybe just share like one practical tool about how, how you for yourself, uh, find like how you discover, find out what are you avoiding? Like what's, what's that big thing you really need to be doing that you're avoiding or that big problem that you're, that you're scared to face that you've been avoiding. Uh, or what you're tolerating, and it's just getting out of hand because you're tolerating it. Like some tool that uh, that you use to to help yourself and uh, overcome those those uh, those pitfalls. Absolutely. So um, the article you're referencing, it's uh, I called it jokingly two life changing questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I tolerating and what am I avoiding? So what am I tolerating could be from myself, from my team. It could be in relationships romantically like tolerating is an interesting one because it kind of creeps up on you like sneaks up right. and so that you think that things are okay and then all of a sudden you're like wait a minute you know this person's been late a bunch of times right you know and and the, the challenge with tolerating something is that it leads to resentment and it leads to lack of trust and that could even be within yourself like if I'm tolerating that I'm not going to the gym and I told myself I was going to that lets me down and it lowers my confidence right so you know, it's very important. I always say Kevin talks about uh, talks about taking uh, withdrawals from your like internal bank account that whenever you keep promises to yourself, it, like adds to uh, adds to your, uh, you know, your, you know, the like, just your self worth or what you feel you can accomplish and your confidence and to adds to the mixed deposits in that bank account. And you break promises to yourself, like you, the example you gave with working out or whatever it is, it's, it's a withdrawal from that bank account and makes you less capable, less competent, less confident in the future. 100%. Yeah. So I like, I like to use that once a week as just a self accountability check in of make a list of the things that I'm tolerating. Um, and it's a hard one because it asks you to dig deep. You set uh, aside a certain time you recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, well, for me, I like to do it just like first thing in the morning, Monday morning, let's just like knock this out, like just get it done. But for some, it might be like, you know, after dinner, after the kids have gone to bed, just whenever you have a moment of quiet time, I do a lot of journaling. So I like to reflect mm -hmm. on you know, what's going on for me. Um, and also if you find that this is challenging for self accountability, do it with a coach or get a right. partner in accountability. Um, I'm a big, I, I love seeing coaches. I do consulting work myself for folks. And I think having that partner in accountability really holds you to it because, you know, it, it really encourages you to get those goals done and to stop tolerating the things that you're tolerating. Um, right. And that second part is what am I avoiding? And that's a really, really insightful question because I think it forces you to reconcile things that you're afraid of. Usually Tim Ferriss has this whole concept of the thing that you're afraid of, that you're dreading doing, that's the thing you need to do first. And that's probably the things you need to do the most. Mm -hmm. And that's in pretty much every area of life. If you're really dreading something, it's probably the thing that you got to do. 
Um, my mom used to say, I would like panic when we had a book report due in a week and she'd be like, you're going to spend all week worrying about this and it's going to take you 10 minutes to actually write it. Right. Just write it and you don't have to worry about it all week long. You spend more <laughs> time worrying about it than actually doing the darn thing. Just do it. Get it over with. Decide to do right. it. Tony Robbins would say, decide and take massive action. Right. So decide, today I'm going to get this done and I'm just going to do it. And if you really do need, if you're really avoiding it and you really can't do it, instead of judging yourself for not doing it or feeling shame about it, ask for help. Delegate it. Get someone else to do it. You know, like if I can't figure out how to make a Facebook ad, I'm going to hire someone else to do it, you know, right. but, but don't tolerate excuses. Like you have to do those things. All right. Well, it's fascinating. And actually it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that with, uh, as I, you know, I myself uh, see a coach, somebody that I, somebody that I, that I met through the Tony Robbins program also. And uh, actually just, I actually just told her this week that I, that I wanted to, that I wanted to start, you know, I wanted to start taking out, taking certain additional metrics that I'm not really keeping track of with my own self and my, and my own work on my business mm -hmm. and, uh, and creating a scorecard that we go over every week at the beginning of our session to create more accountability for those things. Like, you know, am I, am I meeting my numbers? Am I, you know, am I, uh, am I doing what I need to do? And, uh, so hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully using that also as a, you know, a tool, like, you know, kind of like some of the advice that you mentioned, in, uh, in, in figuring out what I'm tolerating, what I'm avoiding. Um, so the last thing I wanted to, the last general topic I wanted to focus on today was something else that you wrote about a few weeks ago that was very striking to me. You talked about, you know, kind of like the romantic parts of being a, uh, a successful entrepreneur and, you know, the, uh, the commencement addresses and the, uh, you know, the blog posts or the big articles are getting invited on amazing podcasts and uh, things like that. And, uh, and how people don't talk about, and so people feel like they're alone when they're going through it themselves, the more challenging, uh, you know, the, the, lonely, the lonely parts, the long nights, the discouraging parts, the fear of failure. Um, maybe you could say a little bit about that or how you, how you recommend, uh, you know, or what, what you've found works for yourself in terms of handling those those darker or more discouraging parts of being an entrepreneur and, you know, having everything riding on, on this business that you've decided to create. Absolutely. Yeah. No pressure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think a lot about how, especially when I started out, how lonely it was and can mm -hmm. be, um, and how, like if you decide to take a leap and do something that your peers are not doing or your classmates are not doing, um, that's very isolating because, you know, and, and sometimes for jealousy or envy, whatever, um, folks won't be super supportive of it, or they might be a lot of naysayers. You know, I know um, when I decided to go to massage school, my father was horrified. He was like convinced this is, you know, such a flight of fancy and this is like the worst thing I could do. And um, when I decided to start my business in the fall of 2008, um, that was, you know, right before the biggest financial crisis we've seen oh, right. in a decade. Right, and, right. Um, he this was actually convinced that this was just a terrible idea. Wow. And, you know, for me, I was like, well, stress is a commodity. So I'm going to be just fine, you know, because everybody needs massage right now. Um, and I was right. Winter is my season. Winter is my season. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Robbins said, you know, winter is coming and how do we prepare? Um, but no, truthfully, um, entrepreneurship has ups and downs. There is a lot of, at least for me, a lot of crying, a lot of freaking out and like, how do I do this? And the things that have helped me feel more grounded and better um, 
I think reminding myself of my own resilience and resourcefulness. I use these two words a lot. Think about all of the times where you have overcome something and it's made you stronger. So reminding yourself, you know, this isn't permanent. It's not going to like ruin your whole life. Tony Robbins calls this the three P's of learned helplessness. He calls it permanent, pervasive, personal. So your mind tries to convince you whatever your problem is, it's permanent or it's going to take over your whole life. It's pervasive or it's deeply personal. You're alone in it. Um, And so keeping myself in a good headspace through things like working out, um, sleeping well, taking care of my health. But also for me, I found that to combat the, the isolation and the loneliness, having groups of people around me that inspire me and excite me. So mm-hmm. I actually formed this once a month women's entrepreneurship group and we meet in my living room and we drink wine and we eat cheese and we eat snacks and we talk about, it's like half networking, half therapy. Mm-hmm. So we get really real with each other and talk about, okay, here's where I'm stuck. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I'm afraid of. And it's amazing when someone expresses that they're going through something and that they're afraid, I might stop the group and say, okay, just for a moment, how many people in this room have ever felt that way? Right. Every hand goes up. Like right. at some point, everyone feels like they're failing. At some point, something's right. waking you up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, can I do this thing? You know, like, is, am I capable? Am I strong enough? Do I have the thing that it takes? Will I be accepted and loved if I do this thing that's totally different from this thing that I had been doing before? You know, um, what happens if I fail? You know, what will happen? And we give ourselves these like worst case scenarios. And I think to be around other people who are also going through it and who've maybe even been down that path before is super helpful. So the ways that I've dealt with it were definitely through giving, I gave myself sort of like an unofficial board of advisors. I don't have investors. I don't have a board, but I started talking to people, just taking them out to lunch and asking them questions and saying, you're on my unofficial board of advisors. I need your help problem solving this. Can I take you to lunch and let's talk? And that's, you know, from different industries early on, that's been really, really helpful because you you can't do it alone and you shouldn't. Doing it alone is just an asking for suffering. You need help. You need friends. Well, that's great. Okay. I mean, it's a lot of great tools. So having a, a peer group, taking care of yourself taking time to remind yourself what uh, about your past successes so that you kind of negate that self-talk that says that, you know, you know, whatever, that it's permanent and it's, and it's, it's, it's my fault. It's me. I'm not, I can't do it. Uh, and to remind yourself of times that you can, and uh, it's actually setting out time and then being intentional about remembering that. So absolutely very much. Yeah. I also, before I forget, I do an activity uh, four times a year. I call it five big wins in the last 90 days. Okay. So I write down five, what I call them, big wins, whether it's my personal life or my work life. And I write it on a a little note card and I Mm -hmm. throw that thing on the refrigerator. So in the last 90 days, in the last quarter, what are five big wins that I've had? Because it helps you realize just how far you've come, all of the things that you've accomplished. And it's mind blowing. You like don't even realize how much you're getting done because you're just so focused on the future. And it helps you to take a moment of gratitude for what you've just done. Awesome. Awesome. Well, one, one last thing that actually just relates to uh, relates to one of the things that you said in the last section that I wanted to ask is, you know, I know you have, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, this wellness uh, consulting for women, other women entrepreneurs. Now you mentioned this group. Uh, what are you, um, what, what would you say is the difference? You talk about all this stuff for women entrepreneurs. What is the, what is distinct and different for women entrepreneurs different from men entrepreneurs? <laughs> like what Absolutely. is the difference? Well, You know, I think 
A lot of it has to do with the way that men and women are socialized from a young age. Um, there's this idea with femininity, everything needs to be pretty and perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think when we get trapped in this idea of perfection, as opposed to just getting it done, it's good enough, it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, perfection will really hold us back. Um, what is that quote? Perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, yeah. And there's also this idea that I think women, I think because we're innately often very nurturing, we want to take care of everyone and everything. And so, and we want to do it ourselves. So we feel beholden to taking care of our friends, our family, our clients, our business. Like we're, we're trying to take care of everyone. And I think we forget to take care of ourselves. We forget to nurture our business as its own living, breathing entity that needs us. Mm -hmm. And because we're so inclined to take care of people, we often don't charge enough for our services because we're like, ah, I want to help them. And that's nice, but you also need to get paid. And if you're not making enough money to pay your bills at the end of the day, um, you know, this is a real problem. And when you look at the fact that 97% of female entrepreneurs are making $100,000 a year gross, gross uh, in right. sales and revenue a year, only 100K, 97%, and only 3% are breaking a million dollars a year in sales. Only 3% of female entrepreneurs make a million dollars a year in sales. That's crazy. That's like, what is it for? What is it for? Do you know what it is for male entrepreneurs? It's double. Million? It's double. It's 6%. 6%. Okay. So when you look at the fact that you're twice as likely to Would you attribute it, those two differences, those or that difference to those two factors you mentioned earlier, where it's, where it's, where it's greater, greater chance of, of, of erring on the side of being too much of a perfectionist uh, or not believing it or valuing uh, the value of your services sufficiently? I think that's a big part of it. I think also um, not projecting confidence. And the I think a big, a big challenge is truly funding because I think a lot of women don't know to ask for funding or that they should. Mm -hmm. And men are more likely to overly confidently say, and our projections are huge and grandiose. Right. Women are more likely to be brutally honest and say, you know, here's where I am conservatively. And we have this thought and feeling of, oh, I don't want to, you know, which I think is the right thought, frankly. I don't want to waste someone's money. I don't want to, you know, do something that I'm not confident about. But we see that um, massively maybe, underqualified maybe men. Maybe compensate. Yeah, yeah. They, they have this confidence that, like from, from youth even, they just have this confidence that they can do this. And it's, um, it's really behooves them with sales and, and with, you know, getting finance. And I think that um, some of those things, like having that brazen confidence can be challenging for women. And so making sure that you feel it from the inside out and even sometimes that you fake it till you make it is, is really helpful. Right. So what's what's one thing? So you have these three or so areas, uh, you know, that, that maybe, you know, make it more, make being an entrepreneur more challenging for women than it is for men. So what's, you know, maybe just share one thing for the women listeners uh, that they could do to, to help themselves? I think um, truly the times where I've felt the most confident are when I'm prepared. So I think, you know, if there's an area, if there's an area that you feel insecure about, get overly prepared, like get overly, you know, if there, if there's a presentation you need to make, do it, practice it while you're jogging, practice it right. hour, like just be overly, overly prepared because by the time you say it, you're going to feel so confident you know, and, and if you feel like sometimes we have that voice in our head that we're not prepared or we're not ready because we genuinely aren't. So take the steps, take the classes, 
you know, get that continuing ed, do your market research, ask for help, but do the things that make you feel really confident and those things will shine through. Okay, well, that is that is very, very fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, you can learn more about Rachel from PressModernMassage.com. Uh, and uh, thank you for sharing everything about how you scaled using a, using a fractional, uh, you know, a, a part-time chief operating officer uh, through everything about uh, um, everything about how you grew your business, the challenges that women face. Um, super, super interesting and fascinating. I, I think hopefully there's a lot of value for a lot of people. So again, everybody, please subscribe, uh, leave a review, like I said before. And thank you, Rachel. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.